This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins. No, Daddy. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to a sad day down here, the anniversary of the day the music died. Well, we'll keep our music living on, though, with something that's music to our ears, discussions about money. I'm sure music to your ears will be the fact that we're speaking with former director of Division of Investment Management at the Securities and Exchange Commission, Norm Champ. Plus, what are Americans really living on in retirement? Looks like that three-legged retirement stool might be on its last leg. Later on, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and, of course, we're also going to save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who think the three-legged stool means bacon, beer, and burgers, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Burgers didn't make the list. You can live on burgers. Can't you live on burgers, OG? I could, yeah. Yeah. Steak, yeah. primarily. We are, we are putting the burger... I would like my burger not ground up and uh, preferably filet mignon, medium rare. That would be a good burger, though, a, a filet mignon burger. Filet mignon Like burger. if you did grind it up and make it into a burger. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Filet Mignon Burgers, a podcast, the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, it is Mr. OG. It's OG. What's up? Hey, uh, it is weird that this is not the way I thought this would go, that the Securities and Exchange Commission is here and they're not after us. But that's a great thing. Norm Champ is here. 
You were pretty certain that if they ever showed up, they would be after you? I was very certain that this ended huh. one awkward way with, uh, you know, with a headline about uh, you and I talking about, um, you know, making fun of fees and making fun of enforcement, <laughs> making fun of what haven't we made fun of. We're going to have a cease and desist letter of... Please stop making our jobs more difficult. Not because we do anything bad. No. You got to be clear about that. Yes. No, it's not because we do anything bad. It's like, hey, we are, uh, they're like, yeah, you remember when you guys made fun of that thing? We're like Batman. We take care of the bad guys when the law enforcement won't take care of the bad guys. Except instead of a cape, you've got a bag over your head. And the abs of Christian Bale. So it works out. Well, yeah, with that protective coating. Thanks to The Motley Fool for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Motley Fool Stock Advisor provides two stock recommendations per month and analysis. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool is offering five of their favorite stock picks for free at fool.com slash SB. Also, big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Lots of discussions about student loans in the basement, our Stacking Benjamins Facebook group. Whether you have student loans or you're trying to just put together a better plan for your college experience for you or a loved one, head to studentloanhero.com to find out everything A to Z on how to avoid your own financial mess when you go to college. We got a great show. No mess is here because we got the SEC here. Well, he's not with the SEC anymore. Norm Champ coming down to the basement. He's got a great new book out, OG, that is very much about what you need to know about managing money. It's a fantastic foundation. And you talk to Norm and he's all about, let's just put a great foundation in place. We're going to talk about that today. But first, we got some great headlines. So let's get started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from CNBC. It's written by Lori Kanish. Lori writes, here's where most Americans are really getting their retirement income. Now, before we get into this, we're going to just ask OG because he probably already knows. He's not seen this piece. What do you think? Where do most people get their money from for retirement? Banks. With a ski mask on over their head. <laughs> they get it from their accounts. Yes. Oh, I don't know. I think that uh, easy answer is Social Security. But if that's not the answer, then I'm guessing that it's probably part-time income. 40.2% receive income through Social Security only. People age 60 and up. 40.2%. That's their only source of income. That's their only source of income. Waiting for the social security check. Mm-hmm. Oh. And those aren't very large generally. They are not. Lori writes, retirement income is often thought to come from three sources, social security, pensions, and savings. That combination is often called a three-legged stool, a metaphor for the money retirees use to support themselves once they're no longer working full-time. However, a new report finds that very few retirees actually have, and she wrote income from all three sources, but I would say very few people have more than one leg on their stool. Just 6.8% of older Americans age 16 up who work less than 30 hours per week get money from social security pensions and savings like a 401k. 
but 40.2% Social Security only. Only Even more troubling, 14.9% have no income from a pension, savings, or Social Security. 14.9%. Want a beer while we do this? That's some troubling, troubling statistics. If there was ever a reason, OG, for people to start saving, it's probably this piece right here. But do you think that people knew that and they said, well, that's not going to happen to me? Like, where's the crossover point of along the way, you're like, yeah, I got time. Yeah, I got time. Yeah, I got time. Oh, yeah, boy. I got time. Yeah, I'm screwed. I might as well not even do it. Yeah. And I've seen stuff like this on Twitter and other places where it's like, hey, if you're 50, here's the stuff you need to do to retire by 70 with X dollars. You know, if you're 40 and have no savings, here's what you have to do to retire with X dollars. But I got to imagine there's a point at which you know, that sensation of like, well, I can, I can probably still, ah, if I buckle down right now, I could probably do something, you know, just turns to despair and you just go, well, screw it. It is what it is. Or do you think it's thrust on you? Like, Hey, I've got time. And then I have a job loss and you're like, Oh, well, I guess I don't have any more time. I'm curious about that. I think it's the way that we're wired. I don't think it's about, well, I got time. I don't think anybody thinks, well, I got time. I think people think, man, I got to save now, but I also have this thing that's more urgent, this paycheck and next, and you're always going to do it next month or next week or next year. But there's always, it's just the way we're wired. I mean, as, as humans, we're not wired to think long-term. One thing I really like that I'm going to get the guru wrong. I don't remember who said it first, but it wasn't me. Tell you that. Somebody said you have to put yourself into the future and think about your future self. If you feel like you can't afford it now, you have to visualize yourself at 65 and you've done nothing. Where are you going to be then? So you got to kind of, you got to kind of OG create this fear ahead of time. Cause once we're, you know, you're motivated by one of two things, right? I either want to A, get way ahead or B, I'm afraid. So People are either yeah, going to fear or greed, right? One yeah, of those, one yeah. those two, two emotions. Sure. I, I'm either going for the A or, oh crap, that project's due in 15 minutes. Like one or the other. And I'll get an A. <laughs> and, I'll get an a. Yeah. and maybe it's well, a C minus. You know, you're right. You have to think about it into the future. You have to experience a little bit of that, that pain into the future to motivate yourself. Now, this is where it comes in handy to have so many systems set up. I was just talking to somebody the other day about future savings. We were kind of thinking about a year out. And I think it's important to have a plan for your money before you actually have the money sometimes. You know, if you know you're getting a bonus, plan on what you're going to do with the bonus before you get the bonus. Otherwise, you get the bonus and now you're like, oh, well, I got all this extra money, you know. So this client was going to have some increased cash flow in the future and we were talking about saving or investing or paying down debt and the different things. And I said, it's important to have that going into it, you know, have a plan for those dollars long before you actually have them. And then you don't have to get that decision fatigue because when do you make these decisions? You know, do you make the decision bright eyed and bushy tailed at Monday morning? Probably not. You make them at seven o'clock at night after two glasses of wine on a Thursday, working your tail off and you're going, Oh yeah, I got to deal with this. I just, you know what? Forget it. And there is such a thing as decision fatigue. So make it simple for yourself. Set set up systems, set up processes that you don't have to inject yourself into. You don't you gotta know, think about it more than you don't gotta think yeah. about it more than once. You set it up one time and you just go, okay, every dollar I've got an alert. We use Ally for our checking account. I've got an alert that says that alerts me anytime our balance is above this or below that. 
I don't have to check my balance every single day. Now I have that luxury. I've saved money to to get that that um, uh, buffer, you know, so to speak. But I know what my spending is. Most of us have a general idea of plus or minus where we spend. So once you get your cash reserve and your paychecks are going in, you could say, "Oh, I'll just set a reminder to alert me when my account balance is over this thing, and then I do this thing." And you know, and it's like a one one second transaction. It's a one second thing. And if you do that when you're 25 or 35 or 45 or 55, you said people don't have the ability to think into the future. We also don't have the ability to think about compounding very well. It's very, very, very difficult for us to think of, you know, the nature of, of growth other than just singular additive growth. So when we look at those big numbers and we see like, oh, my retirement calculator says I need $2 million. You know how many zeros that is? Yeah. I mean, uh, like I'm not, I, I got 20,000 and you're telling me I need 2 million. I need a hundred times the money I have. That's never going to happen. And certainly not at a hundred dollars a month. And it's like, well, it might not, but it's definitely not happen if you don't do the hundred dollars a month. And you're going to be a hell of a lot closer if you just do something. So that's why I like milestones. That's why I like these shorter term milestones, yep. OG, you know, setting those up so that I'm just looking at this one signpost. When we started running marathons, I had real trouble. You're looking at those little stripes in the road. You're like, okay, I got to make it one, another 11 feet. Two. Well, and another 11 feet. Almost. I mean, you're joking, but almost. We started using this uh, program where we would run for seven minutes and then walk for a minute. And all of a sudden I was running 12, 13, 14, 15 miles without really thinking about it. Cause I was thinking about seven minutes, not 15 miles. And you know, seven yeah. minutes later I've run another half mile and then I start running again. I run another half mile. And before you know it, you've run way further than you thought you ever could. It's cool stuff. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you, you don't need to prove it through, through going yeah. out there. Yeah. Our second headline, and I really don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's been in the news nonstop, OG, but we definitely uh, should talk about this. Uh, this is everywhere. We've got it from uh, MSN.com. Uh, Kobe Bryant's daughter, Gianna, uh, also killed in helicopter crash was the headline. Yeah, terrible. You just never know, OG. I mean, you see these people that say, and I, and I definitely don't think Kobe Bryant was one of these people, but you just never know. So why I see people that spend all of their time money saying, I'm going to be happy later. I'm going to be happy tomorrow. I'm going to do, I'm going to do things that don't make me happy today. And I'm, you just don't know. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't know. Well, I think that part of our job from a planning perspective, I was talking to one of our team members and she said, well, it's kind of like being a marriage counselor sometime. I said, yeah, yeah. Sometimes like that, you know, but really I think some of it also is, being a permission officer, you know, saying, Hey, you've done the right stuff. We have the steps in place to put you on this path to meet your short and medium and long-term financial goals. It's okay to go do something else. You don't have to work at this capacity anymore. As long as you save $20,000 a year, you're going to be good. So you can go get a job that pays 60 instead of a hundred that has less hours and is closer to home or or you have enough money saved and you got that bonus, you should use that for pure entertainment purposes or utility or the house project that you were hoping on. I remember when we moved from Michigan to Dallas, we did like probably most homeowners who are about to move do. You clean the house, 
And then we painted the entire thing. Like, if, you know, well, we didn't paint it. Somebody painted it, right? But we had it all repainted, basically the baseboards and the, you know, the whole thing. And it looked like a brand new house. We had only been there about 10 years, but I was thinking, my goodness, this is a sharp looking place. <laughs> I'm not sure that I want to leave now. And I remember, I mean, it wasn't a big home, so it didn't cost a lot, but it was, you know, maybe two grand or something to have the whole thing painted. It was the middle of winter, so it really brightened everything up. I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to do that for my next home. I'm not going to say, well, I'll do that project later. I'll do that project later. I'll do that project later. And then all of a sudden you go, well, I got to do this project because I want to sell this thing. And then you do it and you go, that's pretty nice. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're so, making the house nice for somebody else to live in. It's it's certainly a balance. You know, you can't do all of that. And then back to our previous article, live on Social Security the rest of your life. But um, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. So. I love that story about balance. And I know there's people listening, OG, who think, well, I got, I got all of these, uh, bills. I got, I mean, I've been there where, man, I've got a ton of debt. I've got all these, uh, you know, I'm in the hole. My career's not where I want it. I'll say this, even then enjoy the ride. You know, it's uh, the finish line. Isn't going to make you feel better. Like those, those, we just talked about the marathon thing. I'll go back to that. I learned after a while to just enjoy that seven minute run, you know, enjoy the fact that I'm out and I'm running instead of the fact that, oh my God, I got to go 15 miles. Be where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Be there and just say, you know what? Hey, guess what I'm doing right now? I am hustling my ass off getting where I want to go. And it is so fun being me right now. You're not going to be so fun being you right now. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Well, it's not that fun because I have to hang out with you, but Besides no, that, that's probably the best part of your day. Probably. Sadly, it probably is. <laughs> it says a lot, says a lot about my day. Uh, also another thing, get your estate plan done now. Cause you don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but man, was that a horrible week last week? Agreed. One thing you also don't know about is how much money that college degree is going to make you. OG, but you do know how much it's going to cost as you go. And while college is never a straight ROI consideration, having a strategy about how you take out debt and if you're going to take out strategic debt is a huge part of any college experience. And that's why we partner with Student Loan Hero. If you go to studentloanhero.com, what you'll find is that they have all of the resources that you need to make good decisions about funding your education, whether you've already been educated and you should have a debt strategy instead of just debt, or if you or a loved one are on your way. So right now I'm headed there, studentloanhero.com. And I'm going there because across the front page, you'll see everything that they do, whether it's refinancing your loans. Right now, uh, the top piece there is the eight best banks to refinance and consolidate student loans. Ten essential things to ask before refinancing your student loans. That's a big one. If you're looking to lower your payments because you're struggling to make your payments, everything you need to know about income-based repayment, the ultimate guide to lowering your student loan payment, and the ultimate guide to paying off your student loans faster, or straight out student loan forgiveness, the complete list of student loan forgiveness programs and options, public service loan forgiveness, do you qualify, parent plus loan forgiveness is possible, here's how to get it, all that plus product comparisons like at their sister site, Magnify Money, 
calculators, prepayment calculators, refinancing calculators, public service loan forgiveness calculators, income-based repayment calculators, quizzes that you can take, a list of the must-reads and more. Head to studentloanhero.com to better finance your educational journey. I think our takeaways here, number one, be here today and get your estate plan together. I think that's probably the big one. And then uh, number two is, even if you feel like you can't save today and you've got a lot of more important stuff, yes. Yeah. You got 25 bucks. You have 25. I I guarantee that you have $25. Set up an account, put 25 bucks a month into it. Don't ever touch it. Norm Champ, upstairs talking to mom. OG, Norm is a... SEC, SEC. That's from the Southeastern Conference. This is the other SEC. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Securities and exchange. a whole different thing. Okay. All right. I thought we were... Yes. Okay. This is going to be a lot more boring than I thought it was going to be. You thought we were going to talk Bama football. I was pretty sure that that's where this was going to head. We're going to talk about Uh, whether the Razorbacks are going to actually turn it around and... Quit playing JV yeah. football. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I've got this thing. So you got it from here, boss. I'm gonna I'm gonna step out for a second, and you can. Norm Champ is a senior partner in the Investment Funds Group at Kirkland and Ellis LLP, and the former director of the Division of Investment Management at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Under his leadership, the SEC adopted a new rule, a new rule in July 2014. To reform money market mutual funds. Remember that one? You had me at Bama football, but go ahead. <laughs> yes, I do remember. Money market mutual funds. Today, though, we're gonna we're gonna ask him. You can't have a guy who's done what Norm has done and not talk to him about uh, what happened during the financial crisis and oh, yeah. under his leadership. But we're not gonna dwell on that. He has written a great book about just the foundation called Mastering Money: How to Beat Debt, Build Wealth, and Be Prepared for Any Financial Crisis. Norm Champ, coming down to the basement. And here he is on his way down to the basement, our new friend, Norm Champ. How are you, man? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy that you could be with us. You have had a desk at a place that a lot of people, especially the finance nerds who hang out here, Norm, wonder a lot about. And I know it was a topic of your first book, and I'm going to get to Mastering Your Money here in a second. But tell me about life at the Securities and Exchange Commission. How did you end up at the SEC? I was first, I came out of law school a long, long time ago. Uh, and uh, I was first in a law firm. And then ultimately, I left to become a partner in an asset manager, so hedge fund manager. And we ran long, short equity hedge funds. And I did that for quite a while, from 99 to 2009. And you know, towards the end of that, you're starting to think, Am I going to be doing this for good? You know, those kinds of thoughts. And then the global financial crisis happened. And, you know, I really had this sense of the SEC of all regulators probably took the biggest hit from the global financial crisis of anyone, right? Because not only what are you doing, are you watching the store, but then the revelation that they had examined Bernie Madoff, examined Alan Stanford, and missed those massive frauds. And so, I'm kind of looking from the outside in and I'm thinking, 
boy, that's a tough thing. I dealt with the SEC my whole career, and I and here it is, kind of on the ash heap of history. So I approached a friend of mine uh, in the spring of 2009, and I said, you know, I'm wondering whether the SEC could use a guy like me, who's been a law firm guy, but also so, a partner. So you reached out to them. Yeah. So I reached out to a guy, a buddy of mine was the head of examinations, investor management examinations in New York, Tom Yolsey, uh, unfortunately, who passed away later from cancer. But uh, he was the head of exams and I reached out to him. We were having lunch one day. I said, you know, Tom, what do you think would the SEC benefit from a guy who's been a partner and investor manager? He said, yeah, that's great because I'm going to leave this job and you should get it. It took almost a year, you know, getting into the government takes forever. But I did in January of 2010, started as head of exams in New York, quickly got promoted to deputy director exams for the country. Uh, and then at the two and a half year mark, Mary Shapiro, she had made me promise to stay for three years. And at the two and a half year mark, she offered me the directorship of the division of investment management that regulates our industry. And you figure that's probably an offer comes around once in your career. So I took it. So I ended up staying five years. Having been in the investment management business and that field, kind of my whole career, to be involved even a little bit in policymaking in, in the field was really special. You give some people some great advice in mastering money, but you also talk about how when you were with the SEC, Norm, that you saw some incredible sadness and in some people that maybe, I don't know if the word should have known better is appropriate, but people being ripped off because they went to bad places for advice. Yeah, it's a great point because finance nerds are kind of those of us in the business, right? People are focused on the big cases, the headline, oh, you know, this big manager had this problem or something. But really, the vast majority of what the SEC deals with is what is called affinity fraud and just straight out fraud, which means I tell you, hey, I'm going to manage your money and I just steal it and I use it to build a new house or whatever. I mean, it's really sad. Much of it revolves around in fact, affinity groups. So think of Bernie Madoff. He preyed on the Jewish community, you know, that people who knew him and, you know, endorsed him kind of. And and that's very common. Church groups, community groups. Uh, you know, there's a nice young man in my church group who said he would take care of my money or he has an investment opportunity, to your point. And really, one of the main points I make in the book is if you can build some net worth, which is my whole, you know, my dedication is for the net worth warriors, right? If you can build some net worth, you really don't need to go beyond mutual funds for your investing for a very long time. And to your point, what happens is people fear investing. And so they pick some crazy scheme that, you know, I talk about the pension, you know, buying pension yeah. remainders, you know, that yeah, kind yeah. Of, you just need, if you can get yourself to in go over, oh, in go ahead of expenses and get yourself to some net worth stick with mutual funds, which are heavily regulated by the U.S. government, right? doesn't mean you're going to make money on the investment, but we literally have never had a fraud around mutual funds, right? And so stick with those for a very long time. I say until half a million. I mean, there's no magic number, but sure. there's no reason for anyone to venture outside mutual funds for a long time. Well, let's dive in. You cover a lot in Mastering Money, but what's funny, even before we we dive in, just to backtrack just a little bit, even before the SEC, you wrote in your introduction that you were born kind of into, in uh, Missouri, I believe, into yep. uh, kind of financial chaos. So yep. you're not somebody that was born into the world's greatest financial household. Can yep. you talk about that a little bit, about your financial background? Yeah, no, absolutely. So as I talk about it, you know, I always say chapter two of going public is written in my blood, right? Because pretty hard to be that personal, you know, but I think part of how you 
connect with readers is in fact, you do have to be personal. And yes, I grew up in what appeared to be very comfortable circumstances in Missouri so suburbs of St. Louis. You know, my family had been there a long time. But yeah, my father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic, as were both his wife, you know, my mother and, his step and my stepmother. And so lots of chaos and, you know, lots of craziness with bill collectors and all that kind of stuff. And it really, I, I think it motivated me ultimately to kind of the financial industry and learning more about this and, and really mastering money is trying to embody what I've learned over a 30 year career. And as I say in the beginning of the book, right, I'm not selling investing tapes or, you know, <laughs> a, a program, right? I, I'm a working lawyer, <laughs> but, but it really is meant to capture some hard-earned wisdom, you know, from my career and, and try to share that with people. And and I love that just between your background and what our listeners know of my background and the fact that you and I could do it, Norm, I think anybody could do it. There you go. <laughs> you start off by talking about the fact that we are high, hardwired as humans to yeah. be impulsive. Can you can you talk about why that's where you start the book? Well, because really, if you think about the book, it's three pieces. Cut down the outflow, increase the inflow. You know, when you get one above the other, start investing and saving, right? It's kind of a three-piece thing. And the cutting down on the outflow is so hard because we are programmed for now, right? People are not programmed for 20 years from now. Let's face it, I'm not saying we're not going to have a consumer society. We're going to have a consumer society. I, you know, I get it. But every message to us is to buy and spend. You know, how often do you see something? Oh, you know, buy this and save 20%. Well, as they always say, don't buy it, save 100%, right? You know, <laughs> so, so I think that so much of trying to get control of that outgo flow is, is really now, you know, there's all you can read all the controversy on the web. There are people who say, you know, don't buy the coffee in the morning, you know, and there's people who say back, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, and I don't want to get into all that, but it is important to try to get a hold of the outgo because every message to us, buy the new TV, buy the new car, all those things. And for instance, take the car example. Amazing. Almost the majority of people who have a car loan owe more than the car is worth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's because you trade in and you keep adding, you know, and it's crazy, right? So anything people can do, that's why they're really focused. If there's, and, you know, we're obviously trying to share strategies, websites, apps, all the stuff that people can try to do to cut down on the outflow. That's got to be step one, because if you can't do that, the rest of it doesn't really follow. Well, it is funny because companies more and more, obviously, they know, especially the time of year, Norm, that we just went through the holiday season, yeah. right? I mean, they call it Black Friday for a reason. They're cha-chinging. They have all these experts that know how to prey on what we want to see. But you focus in really early on in one area where we're especially susceptible. And that is, it was a little surprising to me, but it's so true, subscriptions. Oh. You, you say these subscriptions really are where we're getting hit hard and it's difficult for us to get back off the hook. And that's an easy one. You know, you go online or Twitter, you see all the fighting about, do you cut out the cup of coffee, right? I'm trying to hit one of my lines, you know, that I always say is you look at these surveys, majority of America, or, you know, it's about a third of Americans say they don't have $400 for a car repair. Well, I guarantee you they're getting charged probably at least a hundred bucks or more in subscriptions and phone fees on their phone that they're carrying around. Right. And so you think about, I, I think about it every day, every time you, if you're on Twitter and you click on an attachment, right. Nine times out of 10, you know, free subscription, do this, do that. Right. And what happens is it's like barnacles on a ship. 
people accrete all these subscriptions. And, you know, most of us don't sit there and study our credit card statement to think, wait, I'm not using that, you know, radio app or what, you know. So it is a way that we are being programmed, frankly, into, you know, adding more things. And it's an easy one. I was trying to use that as an example where nothing's easy, right? We're all super busy, but it's an easier one of like, Hey, look, I really don't need, you know, what do I really need anything beyond Netflix, Spotify, maybe one or two others, you know, I think we cite a stat, something like, I think people have eight or nine, you know, there's yeah. some average. Yeah. I mean, so that's one, that's an easy example, you know, an easier example of hopefully a way to cut back. You reference a guy, we do a Friday FinTech segment here on the show, Norman, you reference a guy we've talked to a couple times, Thomas Smythe at Trim, and you talk about Trim or Truebill. There's some of these apps yeah. out there that for free will help you dig in and see what subscriptions you have or just go through and look at them. But you also point out the fact that, especially this time of year when it's it's the one year I try to go on my runs outside and work out at home because the gym's packed. But you point out specifically the gym industry is difficult. Planet Fitness is an example that you bring up. Very yeah. difficult sometimes for people to get out of these memberships. Right. And that's the whole, right. Everything they do is to make it more difficult to get out. You know, I was on a particular app. I won't say the name, but they keep sending me these notices. And I went on there, you know, try to unsubscribe, even unsubscribing to their notices was almost impossible. Not even, you know, much less not signing up. So it is they unfortunately obviously there's an incentive to make it harder to get out and it is tough and i I think if people can just even wait if if this raises people's awareness just a little right if you could just stop some of it you know those are real dollars and and those are dollars then that go back in people's pockets and that's one of the things you know one of my big messages is uh, i see people oh you know 401k you know it's retirement money why would i do that you know I'm really trying to also get people to think about an overall net worth. You know, it's, it doesn't matter where the money, you may be in a retirement account or a taxable account, but you got to be thinking about your own net worth, you know, and, and that really also relates back to the first book going public because one of the other lessons from government is, I'm sorry, but government is not that able to protect us from these financial crises and things. You're pretty much, you got to look out for number one, right? Yeah. And so that's part of it too, is I'd love to see people build their net worth we will have another recession someday. I'm sorry. We have not repealed the business cycle. I wish we had. You should have said spoiler alert, by the way, Norm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Right. laughs> we have not repealed the business cycle. And so we'd love to see people take this time, right? Employment's good. You know, things are good now. Take this time to build up some of the things we talk about in the book, to build your net worth, build a safety fund, those kinds of things. Well, I like how you start there with subscriptions because I know just about everybody has them. I thought about three subscriptions I could cancel right as we were talking, <laughs> and I think I'm, I'm pretty good with my money. Then you go into really something that's, that is harder. I think that's an easy win. But then you go into real debt, like the big debts that we have. And you mentioned car loans. People talk about this difference between irresponsible debt and responsible debt. Is there a difference between the two? I do think so. So look, I do try to live debt-free. So I, that's, that's my thing. That's a goal, but we got to be realistic, right? There are times where you may need to take out some debt. And I think it is important to think about kind of a secured debt versus an unsecured debt. So if you are going to take a loan against a car, obviously, hopefully it's for less than the car's worth. You know, that's unfortunately this, what's happening is people are building the loans across. And then I think the average is the loan is 45,000 and the car is worth 25,000 know, yeah. in that ratio. Yeah. Right. So let's say, look, a mortgage is a very common thing and I think can be done responsibly if you make a significant down payment. 
part of my big message though is don't get sucked in by this, you know, a home is a wealth builder. All those people got foreclosed on in 08, 09, 2010. It was not a wealth builder, right? It has to be done responsibly. But that's an example. Look, if you take out a mortgage and it's half of the value of a property, that's probably reasonably responsible debt. If you can service it, if you have an emergency fund, if you, you know, if you, and and I talk about some other factors in there too. Like you need to know you're going to be in that location for five years, right? You, you know, this whole idea, I, one line that I love, I think we quoted from one of the finance guys, everyone talks about rent being money thrown away. Well, in a mortgage, you're just renting the money from the bank, right? right? So, you know, I mean, I'm like, there isn't a whole lot of difference, right? So, I, you know, so, but I, yes, I do think there is responsible and irresponsible. Obviously, irresponsible is credit card debt. I mean, credit card debt is at the highest interest rate possible. It is corrosive because you've been mentioning it. With the holiday seasons, you see, I mean, the stats came out after the holidays, you know, it take with most, the you know, I don't know if it's the average or whatever, but, you know, three years to pay off yeah. this holiday debt, right? Well, that doesn't count that there's going to be more debt next holiday and the yeah. following holiday, right? And so credit card debt's the worst. I do, listen, anything you can do in cash, I know cash is vanishing, but if you have a problem with credit card debt, switch to cash. You know, it, we all know when you have to pull the dollars out of your pocket, it's a lot harder to spend. I think it's worth trying to get off the credit card debt. Is the, if the fr- That is very irresponsible debt. I mean, look, if you have a medical emergency or something, you got to put something on a sure. credit card. It's what it is. But carrying credit card debt, incurring it, is frankly mostly irresponsible. And if you're going to use a credit card, you say stick with one. Try to limit the number. I mean, you know, that's there's a number of reasons behind that. It, you know, it's hard. You're getting two or three statements a month. You know, do you really have a sense of your full exposure? If you have one, if you can pay it off, you know, it does help credit rating. And, you know, of course, you can generate points and these different things. And then I also think, you know, you're decreasing your fraud, too. If you have one, there's less chance of something get lost or those kinds of things. I want to ask you one more question about debt. You talk about the fact that people with lower credit scores, people with low FICO scores are especially susceptible. We talked about fraudsters before, but they're especially susceptible to some of these bad debt schemes. Uh, Explain that a little bit. So if you look at the last crisis, frankly, I mean, it was a prime example of that, right? The so-called subprime lending, right? I mean, now that was a congressional mandate that said that banks had to lend to lower credit score people. That was meant to be more inclusive. You know, I understand it was, I think, you know, as often it was good intentions. Unfortunately, they paved the road, you know, to hell. Sure. Uh, So so there's a number of incentives. Usually people with lower scores pay higher rates, right? So that there's a big tension here because I do think, you know, it is good to have at least one credit card, have some experience. So you do build a rating. You know, if you don't, as a lower rated, you will pay more. And then there were and are government programs that target more lending to lower score people. So it's hard. I, I couple with that down payment. You know, I think on one of the, what you talked about time in government, one of my most frustrating times in government was here we were three years after the crisis, 2011, something like that, 2012. The Federal Home Loan Finance Agency went back to 97% lending. You know, they had raised the yeah. credit the down yeah. payment to like 20 per 10 or 15 or 20 percent and right and within three years went back to three percent down payment and you're just like you know folks we got i mean come on <laughs> so when you add in i would add in down payment as well to to the, those kind you know making sure that you don't get penalized with a high rate and on too big a balance so that you 
make some payments. I remember that, Norma. You were just starting this podcast at that time, and that was one of our early reports that was happening. And it just seemed like, don't we ever learn? Like, oh. we just we just don't, <laughs> don't. If we want to really help people, just say no. Yeah. Exactly. The book is Mastering Money, How to Beat Debt, Build Wealth, and Be Prepared for Any Financial Crisis. We just talked a little bit about the beginning stuff about debt, but then you go on to talk about good investing practices, about the best social program as a job. I like that. Uh, saving to a better life, investing tax-free, becoming a net worth warrior. I thought that this is a great primer for somebody. We talk about so many people getting ripped off. I thought this is a fantastic primer for that friend of yours that wants an objective, straightforward, here's what you need to know. Without yep. all the, I don't know, a friend of mine called it stank with all, without all the stank on it, right? <laughs> that that, that well, probably, that probably Norm wasn't going to go on the title advice yeah. without all the stank. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. I, I, here's one anecdote to that end. The ad council has done some work to try to get out there and, you know, put some messages out about financial literacy. And I saw one that said, be the rich eccentric uncle you wish you had or something. It was on the bus stop. And I thought, you know what? That's way too subtle. And so the book is really meant to be, like you say, it's back to basics, you know, save more, spend less, earn more living, try to put the money to work. It it is a very, it's back to basics. (laughs) And, and I'm assuming it's available everywhere. Yep. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the whole thing. And you know what? We'll have uh, links uh, not only to that, also to Norm's first book about working at the SEC at our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. So we got you covered if you're walking the dog or on your commute. Norm, thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us and talk about mastering money. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. Hey there, budding stockbrokers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I mentioned earlier that today is the day the music died, which is the tragic anniversary of when music stars Buddy Holly Richie Valens and J.P. Richardson, a.k.a. The Big Bopper, all passed away in a plane crash. In commemoration of the event, songwriter Don McLean made an eight-and-a-half-minute folk rock tribute piece dedicated to the memories of the three stars. Now here's your question. What is the name of Don's song? Really, seriously, what's the name? I'll be back with your answer and my own rendition of the classic song right after this. I remember the early days when I was very curious about investing and wondered about stocks and how to invest, and I didn't understand really how owning stocks would make my money work for me. Well, then, like I did, turning to The Motley Fool is a great place to go. The Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections and websites and gives you simple, easy-to-use analysis to help you understand the market, and then make better decisions. Motley Fool was started by two brothers, Tom and David Gardner. They founded it out of their garage in Alexandria, Virginia. Both of them are still with the company. Tom's the CEO. David is the lead stock analyst and a board member. Motley Fool's become well-known analysts, identifying the leaders and trends before they become everyday aspects of life. They recommended Amazon in 1997 as an example, and Netflix in 2004, Marvel, Now, of course, Walt Disney in 2004. What I like best about The Motley Fool is understanding why companies move the way that they move. Often I find that investors make moves with their stocks for completely the wrong reasons. 
The Motley Fool was a great resource for me, helping me learn more about the heartbeat of a company and exactly what a good stock pick looked like and what a horrible stock pick looked like. So to kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free to stackers. Head to fool.com forward slash SB. That's fool.com forward slash SB. Welcome back, you rising financial star, you. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you know what time it is. It's time for your trivia answer. I know I told you I'd have my own rendition of Don's song, and I promise that you'll get that uh, as soon as I get a glass of water. My throat, it's just so dry. I don't know, I had dry mouth all night. must have been something I drank last night. I don't know. Okay, all right, uh, I'm trying my best here. Here we go. Uh, One, two, uh, one, two, three. Okay, my bad. I just, I just get this feeling that I'm, I'm going to sneeze any second. You know that feeling when it's just like you could feel it? It's just like that feeling, and then you feel it. And Anyway, it's not going to make for very good radio. Spectacular, Steve. You can probably cut that part out. That's not my best work. Man, really wish I could do this song for you, but I'll have to wait until later. I mean, in the meantime, though, I can at least finish up your trivia before the break. I asked you to name Don McLean's famous song that he wrote in honor of the day the music died. And your answer, you said, American Pie. Even if you were somehow thinking about the unrelated movie series, you'd be accidentally right on the topic of movies. The La Bamba movie, La Bamba, got the, yeah, La, La, La Bamba, that movie covering the rise of Richie Valens also went on to pull just over $54 million on a budget of just $6.5 million. That's an investment right there. While I'm not looking for any cash or fame, I will give my own rendition here soon, just after I take a bathroom break. See ya! I don't even know who any of those people are. Are you serious? No idea. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, and yeah. the levee was dry. I've st- I know the song. I don't know those people. Good old boys. Richie Valens. La-la-la-la-la-bamba. La-la-la-la-la-la-la. No? No, keep going. I might get it on the second verse. You have no idea who any of those people are. No, but if you sing some more, maybe I'll, it'll come back to me. Oh, boy. Who's the, who's the la-la-la guy? Say that again. How's that gone? Go. R- Richie Valens. Uh-huh. Yes. And what did he sing? And the Big Popper. What did he sing? And Buddy Holly. Even the even Weezer did a song about Buddy Holly. Hmm. They did a song called Buddy Holly. No, still no. I mean, I generically, I did. You know, when did he? When did they go? It was nineteen fifty nine today? Nineteen fifty nine. I was not even a twinkle in my. Mother's eye. Try, time. try to be a student of life just a little bit. J- just just a smidge, man. But I am 1959. You don't even remember it. The, and you're way old. Buddy Holly's music is incredible, man. It keeps getting covered all the time. There's a fantastic. Uh, it's because it's out of copyright. It's so old. There's a fantastic. Uh, <laughs> there's a fantastic. Uh, it's in the free domain now. <laughs> cover album. <laughs> You could cover it if you wanted to. No, no, you were doing a good job earlier. Yeah, yeah, nice. I'm aware of these uh, musicians. All right. Would not have them on my Spotify list, which, by the way, we had that Spotify thing. 
Nobody got even close. Did you get some entries? I did. Yes. Yeah, we should talk about that later. Swing, swings and misses. Big time swings yeah. and misses. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's. Why don't we uh, quit stalling and throw out the Haven Lifeline? Yeah, because she's out there splashing around, going help, help, and we're sitting up here talking about Buddy Holly. <laughs> throw it out there. Julie's like, hey, me, me, me. Uh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Super old music. It's so good. Buddy Holly, such mm-hmm. good music. Anyway, it's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote because their application's simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Their prices are affordable. You don't have to wait weeks to find out your answer. And you know what? With all that time that OG would save, he could figure out what good music is. That's exactly how he could use it all time. To today, today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our friend Julie. Say hi, Julie. Hey, Joe. OG, it's Julie from Vermont again. I wanted to say thanks about your advice on what to do with my small windfall. My spender husband really liked the idea of me, the saver, actually spending some money. So I figured I'd spend some of the cash on a return trip to the basement. Anyways, I wanted to ask about everyone's favorite VTSAX. I hear about it all the time, and the idea of a total stock market fund sounds great. But why is Vanguard's fund so much better than, say, SWTSX from Schwab? And what's with that $3,000 minimum buy-in? Is that just because I have a Schwab account instead of a Vanguard account? Is it really better because there's a minimum? Well, to stop rambling, I guess the real question is just what's the difference of funds of the same nature from different brokerage accounts and does it really matter? Well, I've got to go see Doug about trading some more Sizzler coupons and check in with mom. You know, I didn't get to eat any of those cookies from last time that I helped her make, but I'm sure she got something <laughs> in the kitchen for me. Anyways, see ya. Is Julie trolling us for cookies? Is that what Julie's doing? Sounds like it. It does sound like it. When swag's not enough and Julie finds out that some people mom has sent cookies to. All right, mm-hmm. Julie. Cookies coming your way, Julie. Maybe. Maybe. Cookies. Maybe. If you're... You talk to the accounting department first. <laughs> yeah. The guy with the green visor. The talk, pocket protector. Talk to the people at uh, Native Deodorant. See if they can step up a little more. Something, something. So we can send out cookies. <laughs> I'm so difficult finding the thread in there. So talk the to deodorant our, people... Talk to one of to, our sponsors. Need to sponsor. Oh, okay. We need another spot. I got it. Okay. We need the sponsor to send money to. So I guess today it would be Student Loan Hero, wouldn't it? We'll go talk to Brian over at Student Loan Hero. <laughs> Say, hey, Brian, listen. Belly uh, up to the bar. J- Julie needs some cookies. We, I don't think you understand. We need understand. a little, little bit more bread in the jar if you <laughs> want us to keep this little charade going. <laughs> <laughs> this sham. Have you ever been to a piano dual dueling yeah. piano bar or something yes. where they get to that spot where they're talking about this is one of my favorite memories of anything that that we did in that regard you know the guy gets to the, the song you know the Billy Joel song <clears throat> and he's like you know put bread in my jar and then he stops and he plays that refrain again and he just keeps like going bread in my jar bread in my jar bread in my jar <laughs> bread in somebody. my jar and he did it like like 
20 times until somebody finally came up and put like money and then he kept singing. But <laughs> I thought was really funny. So well done, sir. In Pontiac, as a matter of fact, that's where it was oh, yeah. up in your neck of the woods. I have never been to that one. It's funny. What's the differences between index funds? Here's the great news. There's no difference between an index fund. They I think all are the exact same. I think Julie's a pot stirrer. I think yeah. Julie is stirring the pot with that. Well, maybe, but um, but it is a good question. You know, I've got my money at Schwab. Why should I use the Vanguard one? Shouldn't I use the Schwab one since it's at Schwab or nope. whatever? It doesn't matter. You know, you can do whatever you want to use. Use the one at Fidelity. Um, use the one at yeah. T. Rowe Price. So I think the difference, though, that you have to recognize is that, you know, when you peel apart the words that we use, we have to understand the definitions of each one of these. So if I say... I have a large company index fund, right? Well, index means list, right? So I have a large company list. And then we want to say, well, who's it from? It's Schwab's large company list. So we just want to make sure that is Schwab's large company list the same as Vanguard's large company list? Are they using the Standard & Poor's 500 list? So we might say the S&P 500 index that's Standard & Poor's 500 list, 503. So if they're all the same, if we're saying, hey, this is a S&P 500 index fund and it's produced by Vanguard or it's produced by Schwab or it's produced by Fidelity or it's produced by BlackRock, whatever, they should be all the same. But where the differences lie is each one of those companies then will put their own little flavor in it. They'll say, well, this is the S&P 500 value index. This is the uh, Schwab Large Company Growth Index Fund. I just saw an advertisement for uh, in this magazine. I'm going to pull it up here so I don't. For oh, for spiders, they broke down each one of the sectors in the index fund of the S and P. So there's 11 sectors of the S and P 500. They created 11 index funds of those sectors and filled them with. Those things. Now you might say, well, if I bought these index sectors in the same allocation as the index fund, would I have the index fund? No, because that list is going to be different, right? So companies like to put their own flavor on it. If you're buying something like a total market fund, well, you have to find what the definition is. Is the total market the Russell 1000 or the Russell 3000 or the Wilshire 5000? Is the total market the Dow? So every company is going to have a different definition of it. The phraseology, the thing you see at the top is the marketing name. And if you want to get into it, you got to kind of peel back the onion a little bit and see all things being equal. The differences are very minuscule, if any. So it doesn't matter. The debate of should I have a passive fund or an active fund or an index fund or whatever, that's the topic for a different day. But um, make your life simple. Do not spread your money all over God's creation buying Vanguard this and Schwab that and Fidelity this. You can do all of those things, by the way, in one place. So just, you know, make it easy. The very first question to ask should always start with, am I saving? Number two question then should be, am I saving enough? Number three question then should be, am I saving in the right place? Which sub-question three, three a, B, or C is going to be the fee structure around that fund, which is why a lot of people recommend the Vanguard fund, even though it isn't the cheapest fund that does what it does. 
But Vanguard has a history of keeping expenses in line. But there are a lot of people who put the cart before the horse, and that is question 1A for them. Yeah. What's the cheapest what place? Goal? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put, I'm going to find the cheapest fund ever, and I'm not going to put any money in it. And I will very, very cheaply <laughs> never reach my damn goal. That's exactly what I'm going to do. But I know everything about fees and I know that I don't pay many fees. And you know what? I don't pay many fees because I haven't saved a flipping dime. I was going to say, you know what I aspire to do? I aspire to pay massive fees. Schwab and Vanguard, Dimensional. I want to pay these people so damn much money. I want them to send me a postcard on my birthday every year. Oh my gosh, it's your birthday, OG. Thank you for being such a large subscriber of our stuff. Yeah, I want a postcard from T. Rowe Price that that is made out to Joe Profit Margin Salcihai. Exactly. Because that means I've got more money. That is is my goal. That's the plan, Stan. Thanks for the question, Julie. Got a question for us? Uh, Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, Julie's taking home some more swag. And uh, don't, uh, don't troll us for cookies. That's gonna that's because of that, you're gonna get brownies. Yeah, Julie. We'll show you. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for today. Uh, two more quick things. Thanks to everybody who's uh, left to review the show. Wherever you listen, if you tell people what they're getting into, we would appreciate that. Mom puts those on a refrigerator. I don't want to talk about that, but you know, just pull back the curtain a little bit. This is the first time OG and I have been at back at the card table since we actually got back from New York. Different than what we talked about last week. And uh, breaking down the fourth wall. What a blast. What a great group of people. Big thanks to Shannon and her team at the financial gym. What a badass spot, isn't that? It was that was really cool. Yeah. Just a great spot. Kind of jealous. Yeah. If you're in New York, go check out the financial gym. And she's expanding too, which she told Mm -hmm. us all about going to Brooklyn, Washington, D.C., and Austin, Texas, Austin, Massachusetts. Austin, Massachusetts. Which you immediately corrected her, which is good. I did. And I love the confused look on her face. And I'm like, uh, another. Yeah, she didn't get it. Another longtime bad joke of ours. Uh, and then. Uh, bad joke of Tom Green's. <laughs> right. Good point. And then uh, big thanks uh, to our friend Johnny, who set up a nice after party for everybody who could go. And it was funny when we were talking to the people at the financial gym, you know, we didn't give people a lot of time. We didn't talk about as much as we probably could have. A lot of people that came said they just heard about a day or two beforehand. And what's funny is the people at the financial gym, when I said, Hey, we had 25 people RSVP that said they were coming. Uh, they said, Oh, that, that means you'll probably have 12 or 13. Usually we take half that number. And I think when I counted, when everybody was there, I believe we had 30 people there, which was, which we had more. <laughs> Than RSVP, which just and we didn't run out of food, so that was we did not. Just some super people, weren't they? It's a great group of people. Good time. Yep, Yep. had a great time. Thanks to everybody, and uh, hopefully next time OG and I hit the road, we'll give you guys a little more, little more notice. All right, maybe Uh, he'll give me a little more notice. We we could give you a little more notice. Uh, Also, by the way, if uh, you are looking for good financial planning help, OG and his team have the doors open a little longer. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG to see how they can help you do financial planning better. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here. What should we have learned today? So by the way, what should we have learned today? I'll tell you what we should have learned today, Joe. First, take a lesson from Norm Champ. 
no matter what's going on in the world, by keeping smart people in your corner and staying the course, you'll find that even you can reduce your debt, save money, and build wealth for the future. Second, take a lesson from our headlines. You don't want to find yourself in retirement only depending on one source of income. Even if you're behind now, you still have time to get your finances under control and start putting away money for your future. But the big takeaway, don't start bragging about your skills before you put them to the test. Now I have Joe and OG and Joe's mom waiting upstairs for my new rendition of American Pie, and I only have the first three minutes memorized. Who knew that song was that long? Special thanks to Norm Champ for stopping by the basement. You can find more from Norm at his site, normchamp.com, or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. All right, this is off, right? We we turned it. We're clear? Okay, good. Here, we're going to... Part of my la la bamba. Para bailar la bamba, se necesita una poca de gracia, una poca de gracia para mí, para ti, ay, 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 para mí, oh, yeah. Ah, man. Actually, I hope you were, you got that, right? You recorded the, oh, shoot, you turned it off? All right, all the great stuff is off mic. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in this part of the show stays in this part of the show. And I am uh, scrolling back on my Twitter feed to a discussion that happened. Because while I don't think it's part something that we really need to cover in the main show. Did you see this? discussion uh, from Reddit, I believe, about the guy who got a letter about his car from his boss? Yes. The original tweet, actually, OG, has been taken down, but I think I can still summarize. 
uh, there was a piece, we don't know if it's real or not, but it, it ostensibly was from a guy's HR department telling him that his, uh, his car was unacceptable. And even though his work has been fine, he's been doing a decent job at work that he must be having some problem financially because his car is, uh, is, is horrible and he needs to speak with them about upgrading his car. And then there was a big discussion about how that, that is well within an employer's right to be able to, uh, to send that message. And of course there was a big outcry. I'd be all like, well, sweetheart, Boston, I got to buy a new car. Yeah. My thought process was actually different. I get the outcry and going, really, you can't tell me what to do with my car. You can't, whatever. Here's the Uh thing. What drives me crazy about online discussions And this is something I learned when I became a financial planner. When I would go into a meeting, I might have a little bit of background about the person I'm meeting with. They might have sent me something. But rarely, rarely did I have all the facts. I would even take rarely and I'd be willing to say never did I have all the facts. And so we would sit for maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes with me just asking more questions, more clarifying questions to find out what the real story is. There was something about that whole thing, OG, that stunk. Like it, it, it didn't even feel like a real story. I mean, don't get me wrong. You could have a boss that's that big a jerk and could put things in such a bad way. But man, we don't, we don't know the story that really happened. And one thing that could be very material there, this, this person who the boss was complaining about, maybe they're in a sales role. Let's say they're in a role where their car is material to their job and they're a client-facing person. Maybe it does make it better at their job. We don't know that. Well, I think that was the point, which was, I remember there being a part in there where he is an office worker, he or she, and uh, didn't have any client-facing responsibilities. And as shallow as it is, it's true. I mean, people do make a judgment call you know, within a few minutes, whether or not they feel like you are at whatever level of success necessary for whatever they're trying to engage you in. When you go to look at a house and you're visiting a realtor, you make a value judgment immediately when they show up in a BMW 7 Series versus a, a you know, a rusted out pickup truck. It's not right, but we do that. I've actually had people say to me, well, if you're so good at this money thing, how come you're not already rich? And that's, that's a different way of saying that, right? It's saying like, well, aren't you supposed to have ex- achieved some level of financial success in order to show me how to do it? Shouldn't you be driving the fancy car? You know, So we do put a lot of emphasis, I think, as a culture on material stuff as a symbol for success when, of course deep down. That's really not the case. But what other measuring stick is there? Remember those as a PNC commercial or something where people are walking around with their like investment portfolio dangling from their neck, like the dollar amount. It was a slight to people who only worked with rich people, you know? So like they're sitting in the lobby. The guy had a thing and said, you know, 82,000. And there's another guy that sat down and said like 2 million and the broker comes out and he's like, oh, and he like kind of bypasses the $82,000 guy. And goes for the $2 million guy. Do you remember this commercial? Yes. So yeah. what other methods of 
corroboration, I guess, do we have? Well, I mean, to some degree, you're right. The uh, But, you know, I mean, I just go back to Dr. Tom Stanley and looking rich and being rich are two totally different things. Right? Oh, I'm not disagreeing with you. No, no, no. No, I get it. And I don't think it matters whether the guy has money or not. My only thing is, I mean, because frankly, if the dude can do his job and he doesn't have a lot of money, then so be it. Maybe his boss doesn't get it, but maybe his boss does get it. You know, maybe the person's in a role where they need to have a certain car. And I might push back on the boss then to say, hey, it's not about my money. It's about the fact that you don't give me any car subsidy, right? And you push back on the boss. If my car is so important to you, how come it representing the company, how come you're not paying for for that part? That's where I may push back if I'm the if I'm the employer. True. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, but, I, but I still feel like there was a lot of outrage about a tweet last week about something that seemed, uh, there was a lot of righteous indignation. And I felt mm-hmm. like we had a small percentage of the facts, which isn't that the isn't case? That kind of always the case on internet arguing. Yes. Did you see the thing about uh, with, with James Corden and the, uh, the carpool karaoke? No. So somebody, well, you know what? This is an excerpt from James Corden's show, and he'll explain the controversy. And I think I kind of feel the same way. Thanks for being here tonight. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something. I'm sure many of you have heard. I've recently been the victim of a scandal in the media, and there's been some very, very serious allegations made against me. And... I want to get ahead of everything and address those rumors and assure you, my audience, that these accusations are not true, okay? I am, of course, talking... (sighs) (laughs) I am, of course, talking about the people saying that I don't drive the car during carpool karaoke. (laughs) Now, I really hate that I'm about to say this, right? But fake news, okay? (laughs) Now, to get you caught up to speed, a few days ago, somebody tweeted this video. Yo, it's the Beebs. You're doing carpool karaoke. That is so funny. Hey, Bieber. Justin Justin Bieber. Bieber. And James Gordon. (laughs) I know this looks bad. And what looks bad, just to stop there for a second, OG, is that they are in an SUV, which is being pulled by, uh, by a truck. And so there's, <laughs> there's like cameras in the truck and the, and these little, uh, the car's essentially on a trailer. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So here we go. But I just want to say right now that I always drive the car unless we're doing something where we think it might not be safe. Like... Like a, you know, like a, like a dance routine or a, or a costume change, you know, or if I'm drunk, right? <laughs> but in the case of Justin Bieber, it was a safety issue where we thought it was best to tow the car, right? And frankly, I just kept getting lost in his eyes, okay? <laughs> now, that current video that you just saw has over 13 million views, <laughs> which is more than some carpool karaoke's, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it has caused uh, somewhat of a media frenzy. BuzzFeed said James Corden has been exposed. (laughs) 
AOL called it dream-shattering carpool karaoke revelations. And The Guardian wrote the headline, the worst lie since Santa, why carpool karaoke is TV's biggest con. Look, I'm just shocked I've done something that upset people more than cats. It's not just the news. People are furious. They were tweeting things like, I, for one, am outraged. This is why I don't trust men. I'm done with all the lies. y'all. But the one that hurt the most was when I got called a liar, right? And that was by the Twitter user, Asgaze. Okay? Now, you know it's... You know, it's bad when Ask Gase calls you a liar. It's a, it's a bad day. That goes on. The rest of it, by the way, goes, goes over. Hey, babe, we never said this was, this, was, this was the truth. But in this case, I think that kind of makes the point that uh, we, don't, we don't know. Don't anything. know the whole story. We don't know it. And oh, my goodness, the outrage. It's but like I it, have an opinion, and my opinion is better than yours. Right. And somebody and dragged tell it me. to you in all caps. I don't know the boss's point of view. Don't know their point of view. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty funny. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.